בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים, we are back here from ארץ ישראל, ברוך השם. trying to prepare for יום הדין הגדול, we're trying to get uh, prepared for ראש השנה, and uh, ראש השנה is the uh, judgment day for all of mankind, uh, even though most of the uh, uh, Gentiles don't know that uh, the Rosh Hashanah applies to them as well as Hashem uh, judges everybody. Uh, unfortunately, the, the Jews themselves also don't realize the significance of this day. And uh, really the purpose of this last minute shiur that we're doing today is uh, try to give everyone a little bit of chizuk, uh, some things that we've uh, learned over this last week of being in Israel learning with Chachamim, learning with Dayanim, learning with Tzadikim, and uh, to really get a better idea of uh, what to expect uh, and uh, what, uh, what really should, we should be doing at this point, with uh, Rosh Hashanah being literally within the next couple of days. Um, you know, we have uh, Shabbat uh, and Rosh Hashanah at the same time. <clears throat> so tonight's show will be for the Refuah uh, Shlema, Rav Ephraim ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Zara bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana bat Zara, Avi Mori David ben Esriah, Imi Morati Doris bat Jora, and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahais that continue to uh, learn Torah with us and uh, support all the amazing things that the organization is doing. Uh, for anyone that wants to uh, be part of the uh, annual holiday campaign that we have, uh, where, uh, Baruch Hashem, we try to uh, help as many poor Jewish scholars as possible, as many poor Jews as possible, here in Eretz Yisrael, by giving them uh, money to uh, eat or giving them food most of the time, where we actually uh, have people go shopping for them and bring them food all the way to their door. You could donate on the uh, website uh, bhrh.org. B is in Be'ezrat, H is in Hashem, R is in Rosh, uh, H is in uh, Hashanah. Org. You could donate over there. We have multiple options. For those of you that are uh, able to donate uh, more, there's a couple of extra uh, options for uh, people that want to get also special blessings and prayers by myself and uh, Rabbi Fry and Tzadik uh, during this uh, time. And I can tell you from experience that uh, all of the donors to those specific uh, higher level donations uh, that we've had over the years have benefited, uh, you know, extensively from being part of everything that we're doing. But uh, really the, the big thing right now that we have to uh, uh, discuss is really some of the things that I discussed earlier today uh, with a, uh, in our kolel here in Eretz Yisrael, here in uh, Yerushalayim, where I was uh, in our kolel, most of the... Uh, Guys there are already Dayanim. Some of them are on the way of being Dayanim. We have a kolel of Dayanim. And uh, in so many words, they're all extraordinary Torah scholars that have dedicated their entire lives to learning Torah. And uh, just like the last time I was here last year, every time I talk to them, each one of them is shocked, shocked at what is going on in the, uh, in the world today, uh, you know, as far as what's being taught to the people today uh, because they're far removed from the media, they're far removed from the internet and needless to say they're not following the uh, uh, English speaking world uh, so to speak as far as what's being taught to people and so when they hear some of the things that I say initially it's like you know it's like a shock to them like how, how could this be? Now when I say 
what I say to them, um, I obviously know that uh, this is going to be brand new to them. But the whole purpose of it is to number one, get some, uh, get them to understand what's going on in the world, how far we are uh, from the truth uh, in the world today. Uh, the second aspect is maybe perhaps to even get some ideas, but also get uh, give them some chizuk to uh, do even more than what they're doing right now, more learning and more kiruv, more helping people, uh, because the world is deteriorating, it's not improving, uh, as I'm sure many of you realize. Uh, but at the same token, you know, the, uh, the key is education. People always tell me, what should I do with uh, such and such relative or such and such friend? that uh or you know that is off the derech that is not following the ways of hashem or is uh you know really sick or is uh, having major problems in their life what should i do what should i do and the answer is always education education of what is the purpose of life now the truth is that when a person learns torah they have to learn the foundation but there are many parts of the foundation that are so deep that if a person does not have already some foundation to learn the foundation, they're going to get lost very quickly. So, for example, one of the things I learned from Rabbi Ephraim uh, over the last couple of days is uh, the Rambam Ilchot Yesudah Torah, the foundations of the Torah. And in there, the Rambam discusses uh, what uh, the Rabbeinu Bechaye discussed uh, a thousand years ago, about 150 years before the Rambam, uh, which is uh, the uh, the oneness of Hashem. And uh, this oneness of Hashem is something that's incomprehensible to anybody in the world, throughout all of history. But yet there's an extraordinary amount of material that one can learn about it, even though it's incomprehensible. You know, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wrote the entire Zohar trying to uh, clarify different aspects of, you know, uh, Hashem's significance in the world, Hashem's uh, 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 ruling of the world, and the, the mystical aspects of things, the, the basic things of day to day. The Gemara did the same thing, or what uh, is also called the Talmud. And of course, uh, this is part of the foundation of the Torah that the Rambam uh, makes as one of the 13 principles of faith that there is a one God. But when an average person thinks of one God, they're thinking of it from their own perspective, which is one is being compared to something, meaning that if there's one, that uh, it could mean there could be three, like they believe in Christianity, that there's three parts, or that there is more than one God, that there's one that's a, uh, a human being of some kind. Uh, or that there could be a no God because one can be compared to zero and all types of other things. And one of the things that the Rambam explains is that this oneness of God is not comparable to anything else that you can possibly imagine. It cannot be compared to any other uh, false deity that you have. It cannot be compared to anything else, meaning that it's not the typical one. In so many words, the, the depth of this subject is uh, so extraordinary that the average person is going to find themselves very, very lost uh, if they're actually trying to find a, uh, uh, the, the answer quickly. It's, it's simply not going to be found. Now, one of the reasons why we learned it is because we were uh, trying to contemplate whether to actually do a, a whole series over it, whether it's something that we should explain to people, 
And one of the uh, points that we've confirmed is that this cannot be taught to people uh, that uh, in the same way that the scholar thinks, meaning a scholar like Rabbi Ephraim that has spent, you know, several decades learning Torah has a different perspective of what needs to be learned and, you know, what depth needs to be reached. An average person in the world today has no concept of those things. So, for example, if I teach, if I show you some of the papers I have, you know, over here, some of the things we learned, not, no, no one over here is going to understand any single thing that I wrote on these papers. Uh, we're discussing all different aspects of Tumai and Tara, the different statistics. This is all coming from different parts of the Gemara, trying to uh, identify uh, different statistics that are being taught within the Torah, how to determine the Alacha, how to determine, uh, you know, the uh, what's, uh, what's pure, what's not pure. In so many words, when, the more you learn Torah, the more you realize that the Torah is wider than the ocean. And if you're going to teach Torah in the level of the scholar to the average person, they have no idea of what, you know, what you're talking about. On the other end, if you don't teach it, then you're leaving the masses uh, at risk, at risk to fall into the traps of society that we have today. And, uh, and therefore, what, we've, uh, what we arrived at is the following. You have right now in the world a couple of different types of teachings where the more you learn Torah the more you realize how much of an obligation you have to the Creator the more you learn Torah the more you realize his significance and how much he's given you and how much you owe him for every single breath that comes out of your mouth for every single breath that enters your body for every single time that you're able to blink for every single time you're able to go to the bathroom and the more you learn Torah, the more you understand that the debt that you have is literally immeasurable. It's like somebody tells you, listen, you have an uh, endless debt, start gathering money together and start paying. And you start selling your assets, you start selling your house, you sell your car, you sell your jewelry, you sell your, uh, you know, your bitcoins and your stocks, and you're just putting money into this account. A year passes, and you say, okay, did I finish? No, you're not even close. Keep doing it. Keep filling it up. And the more you learn Torah, the more you realize that literally it doesn't matter how much you sell and how much you do, it's never going to measure to the actual debt that you actually have to the Creator. So trying to explain that to the average person that hasn't spent several decades immersed in Torah is simply not uh, going to bear you any fruits. Because many times the person is going to say, wait, if, if it's that much, I might as well do nothing. They'll, they'll arrive at a wrong conclusion. On the other hand, not doing anything, not explaining anything, is also a very serious problem. Why? Because what's going to happen is that they're going to default to go to whatever is available out there. What's available out there? You have one of the uh, more popular religions in the world, uh, Christianity, and different forms of it, whether it's Catholicism, Christianity, Protestants, uh, Lutheran, and so on and so forth, that are in so many words telling you that not only... Uh, should you not worry about this obligation that you have to the Creator, but in fact, your obligation was paid for already by somebody else. Somebody died 2,000 years ago. Some prostitute discovered that the, uh, uh, his grave is empty, or at least according to her testimony. I'm not really sure why anybody would uh, take the testimony of a prostitute, 
but nonetheless, a whole religion was created on this on this premise, on this uh, uh, testimony, and uh, he died, and therefore this you don't have an obligation to the Creator because he died, and therefore doesn't matter whether you rape, murder, uh, you, uh, you uh, steal, you whatever it is that you do, so long as you believe that he paid your debt, you can continue gathering even more debt. This is unfortunately believed by th- uh, billions of people. You are never going to find two Christians that believe the same thing because they themselves are confused, including their leaders. But nonetheless, this is a belief in the world. On the other end, one of the things that you have in the uh, Jewish world today that's a cancerous belief system, which is coming from heretics uh, and their friends, which is that not only don't you have to worry about the obligation you have to the Creator, but in fact, He owes you, just like this Rasha, Manus Friedman says, and some of his friends that support him, that call themselves rabbis and leaders and scholars, but obviously they're all heretics and have no share of the world to come. Uh, but they say that uh, not only do you not have to worry about an obligation, you don't have to worry about what you owe God, but in fact, God owes you. And this is unfortunately a very common mentality in the world, not even before Manus came into the, uh, into the world, uh, where people somehow think that God owes them something. God owes them something, God owes them because since he created them, he needs to give them you know, what they need, whether it's more money or it's uh, health or it's a wife or a husband or whatever it is they ask. They, in so many words, God is turned into the servant of men. Now, of course, this is stupidity uh, to, for anyone that learns Torah or even reads the Book of Psalms. Uh, but uh, needless to say, this is believed by many people that don't think and allow their thinking to be done for them. So to go and battle these lies is, doesn't need, doesn't require us to actually go into the depths of what does it mean, the oneness of God as far as understanding the depth of the obligation, the reward, the punishment, you don't need to necessarily go into the ultimate debt and eventually arrive at the ultimate conclusion, which is that it's impossible for you to know. But rather, the goal needs to be to teach people that they actually have a debt. That's it. You don't necessarily need to understand that what the debt is, how much the debt is, but the goal is to understand that we do have a debt. We do have a debt, we do have an obligation to the Creator. And once a person understands that and humbles themselves enough to apply that to their life, then you have the very basic foundational belief to serve Hashem in the right way. Without understanding that you have a debt to the Creator, whatever belief system you have is going in the wrong direction. Now, when a person hears that there is Rosh Hashanah, there's Judgment Day, where each and every single person, as the Talmud says, each and every single person goes in front of the Creator, their Neshama, of course, their soul, of course, goes in front of the Creator on the Judgment Day and is judged based on their sins as well as their good deeds over the past year. And each one goes in front of Hashem like a uh, 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 the cattle, go through when they're counted. When they're counted, they're count, they go, they all, you know, there's a huge amount of uh, sheep 
that are going into the be counted, they don't just count them from, uh, you know, just guessing. They make a little gate, and each one goes through the gate. And after every 10, they mark the 10th one, that's the ma'asel. They put a red mark on it. But each one goes through the gate. And the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah says that on the judgment day of Rosh Hashanah, each and every single person gets counted one by one, based on his deeds, based on her deeds, based on his uh, Torah learning, based on his mitzvahs, based on her modesty, based on their uh, fear of heaven, and so on and so forth. Now, when a person understands that they're going to be judged, automatically they understand that there has to be an outcome to this judgment. And the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, as well as Masechet Betzal, says that on Rosh Hashanah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides whether someone is going to live or die during that year. Whether someone is going to have children or not. Whether someone is going to lose children or not. Uh, whether someone is going to get married or stay single. Whether someone is going to make a lot of money or finish off the year with even more debt and losses. Uh, in so many words, everything is decided for that person during Rosh Hashanah, except whether they'll serve Hashem or not, because that's your free will. That's your free choice. You decide whether you're going to serve Hashem or not, or you're going to serve some idol. Now, when a person understands that this is going to happen over the next 48 hours, automatically a normal, healthy person becomes scared. Why? Because just like if you got a letter in the mail telling you you have to show, to court, show up to court for a case that could mean your life, that could mean your freedom, that could mean all of your assets, that could mean everything that's important to you. If you win, you get more time to continue improving, continue doing good. If you lose, you could potentially lose everything. A normal person is going to immediately have a reaction of getting scared. But the second thing that they're going to do is they're going to prepare themselves. Prepare themselves for this very big day. Prepare themselves for this day that they know that everything is on the line. Now, one second. Really, the preparation was supposed to be done over the last month. But what can we do that most people are unaware of the significance of this day to such an extent that they didn't get prepared? Oh, whatever preparation they did was so minimal that it's, they just think it's just like, you know, it's another day. Now, if you ask the average firm person, or even the average person, whether they think of themselves as righteous, or wicked, or middle ground, the average person will tell you, listen, I don't think I'm wicked. Uh, perhaps I'm not uh, the most righteous person, but, you know, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. And the average person will judge themselves in the middle. Some delusional people will put themselves in the righteous category. 
And if you ask him, are you worried about this judgment day? The average person doesn't even know what you're talking about. He's worried. Why should I worry? On one hand, somebody's, you know, some of these religious leaders are telling you that whatever obligation I have was already paid for me because some moron died 2,000 years ago. Not really sure how that's going to help you today, 2,000 years later. But nonetheless, you believe that. Other people hear that, listen, you don't even have to say I'm sorry. He owes you. He's obligated to you. You didn't ask to be created. Therefore, he needs you. All types of other nonsense. So let's just see what our holy Torah says. Because without knowing what the Torah says, a person could be lost in a place where they could simply not recognize what the truth even looks like. So the first thing that a person needs to know is that there is an obligation. There is a obligation that a person has and that obligation is not going to be paid for by anybody else nobody can pay you pay for you this obligation Akadosh Baruch Hu says through the prophets whether it was the prophets Jeremiah Isaiah Zechariah or if it's a through Asaf in uh, Tehilim, King David, he gives us he gives us clarification of what he wants, what he expects. And Rabbi Yonah wrote Sharet Shuba about eight hundred years ago, and he says in the first gate, "Know that one, know that when one has sinned." And yet, he delays his repentance. His punishment becomes increasingly harsher day by day. For he realizes that Hashem's wrath is upon him and that he has a refuge to retreat to, his refuge being repentance. Nonetheless, he persists his rebelliousness along his evil path. He is capable of freeing himself from this upheaval, but does not fear the pending fury and anger. And consequently, the ills that await him are great. As our sages said in Kohelet Rabbah, chapter 7, section 15, this could be compared to a gang of thieves who were incarcerated by a king. They started digging an underground tunnel, broke through and escaped to the other side, all with the exception of one prisoner who remained behind. The prison warden noticed that the underground tunnel saw that everybody ran away except one. And he started hitting him. He's saying to him, you miserable fellow, a tunnel was dug out before you. Why did you not save yourself? So to repent, to do tshuva, is not something that is illogical. It actually makes the most amount of sense. Unless a person doesn't think he owns anything. Unless a person does not think that he owes the Creator anything, and in fact the Creator owes him. Now, in Tehilim, in Psalms, chapter 50, this is a psalm that we read in our prayer on a regular basis. David Melech tells us exactly how 
הקדוש ברוך הוא communicates to us. Not just during that time of a couple of thousand years ago, but till this day, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't change. And anyone that understands this psalm can know that any other belief, aside from what is being stated here in the name of the Torah, is false. The psalm starts as follows. A song by Asaf, Almighty God Hashem, spoken called to the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting out of Zion consummation of beauty God appeared our God will come and not be silent a fire will consume before him and his surroundings are exceedingly turbulent he will call out to the heavens above and the earth to avenge his people gather my devout ones unto me sealers of my covenant through sacrifice here, the Vidamelech tells us that the time will come and there will be Judgment Day. We're not just talking about the Judgment Day of the end of the world, where there's going to be the uh, War of Gog and Magog, where all of the wicked enemies of Amisa will be destroyed, but even among them, both Jews and Gentiles. But we're talking about any Judgment Day, including Rosh Hashanah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaks to the creation and says, gather my devout ones, those ones that serve me, or at least think that they serve me. Then the heavens proclaims his righteousness, for God is the judge, Selah. Pay heed my people, and I shall speak. Israel, and I shall bear witness against you. God, your God, am I. I shall not rebuke you for your sacrifices, nor are your burnt offerings my constant concern. I take not from your household any bull, nor from your pens any goats. For mine is every beast of the forest, the cattle of a thousand mountains. I know every bird of the mountains, and what creeps upon my fields is with, it, with me. Even were I hungry, I would not tell you, for mine is the world in its fullness. See here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, I don't even care about all of these sacrifices that you've offered to me, whether it's the bulls or the goats. They were for your sake. In today's terms, the prayers that you've made, the charity that you've donated, the Torah that you've learned, it wasn't for God's sake. You didn't give God anything because everything is already His. All you did when you donated money or you donated your time or your efforts or your prayers or your words or your learning was help yourself. You didn't feed God. As He says, for mine is everything. To such an extent that he speaks to us in such terms, he says, even if I were hungry, even if I needed to eat, let's just say hypothetically, even if I needed to eat the goats and the bulls, I wouldn't ask you for it because I could just take it. It's, everything is mine. So even if Akadosh Baruch Hu needed something, he wouldn't tell us about it because we're a lowly creation. 
But certainly, obviously, he doesn't need anything, as he says multiple times. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer God confession. Then redeem your vows to the Most High. Shem says to us, what do you really think I eat? You think I need the sacrifices you make? No. What does he want? He wants you to admit that you've made a mistake, that you've gone in the wrong direction, that you didn't serve him, but rather served yourself, served your desires, your lusts. Once a person confesses to their mistakes, automatically they start going in a different direction. And call upon me in the day of distress and I will release you. And you will honor me. So he says to the righteous, to the devout ones, you went to shul, you went to synagogue, you prayed, you learned Torah, you gave tzedakah, you supported, you did good, but you still made some mistake because there's no such thing as a person who doesn't sin. Everybody sins. No problem. As long as you don't think that it's okay to sin and I'll just accept it no matter what as long as you admit that you've made a mistake apologize and then commit to not doing it again even if you do end up doing it again I'm gonna judge you based on today and I'll forgive you But to the wicked, says the next verse, chapter, chapter 50, the same Tehilim, verse 16. But to the Rishayim, to the wicked, God says, To what purpose do you recount my decrees and bear my covenant upon your lips? For you hate Musar, and you threw my words behind you. He says to the wicked, that are not planning on changing their beliefs, their ideologies, their actions. They're going to shul. They're going to the synagogue. They're praying, but in reality, they're praying just because it's something to do, not because they're looking to change anything. They're saying sorry, but they don't actually mean it. It's like somebody saying to his wife, I'm uh, sorry that uh, I cheated on you, but they continue cheating. They tell their clients, I'm sorry that I stole from you, but they continue stealing. So who says to them, to those people that are not planning to, to change, they violate the holiday during the holiday. They drive to the synagogue on Shabbat, on Yom Tov, and yet they think that Hashem is going to forgive them. Why? Because somebody told them God needs you, or somebody told them that somebody died for you, or somebody told them all types of mumbo-jumbo, that in so many words, everything is okay, God loves everybody, no matter what. HaKadosh says, but to the wicked God said, to what purpose do you recount my decrees and bear my covenant upon your lips? What are you even praying for? You're wasting your time. For you hate Musar, you hate discipline, and you threw my words behind you. If you saw a thief, you agreed with to be with him. With adulterers was your lot. 
You like to be with the thieves. You like to be with the adulterers. So what are you even saying my name for? You're not looking to keep Shabbat. You're not looking to learn Torah. You're not looking to change. So why are you even bother covering the shul? Why are you even bothering pretending like you care? Why bother? You dispatch your mouth for evil and your tongue adheres to deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your mother's son. These have you done and I kept silent. You thought I was like you. I will rebuke you and lay it clear before your eyes. Understand this now, you who have forgotten God, lest I tear you to pieces and there will be none to rescue you. He who offers confessions honors me, and one who orders his way, I will show him the salvation of God. Here HaKadosh Baruch Hu says perhaps one of the most scary statements I've ever read in my life. Where HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, you that are devout but made some mistakes, I welcome your prayers. I welcome your repentance. Why? Because you acknowledge that you've made mistakes. You're going to try to do your best and change. And therefore, I forgive you. I'll give you more time. But to those of you that are not looking to change, to those of you that are making a joke of the Torah, to those of you that are continuing to idolize dead people, to those of you that are continuing to go and create a new Torah, a new belief system, disregarding the words of the Torah, disregarding the words of the sages and the clarifications that they provided for us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you thought that it's okay to sin because I didn't punish you. So you thought I was like you. Meaning, you stole and you didn't get punished. Nobody caught you. You killed and nobody killed you. So you figured since I didn't kill you, therefore I must be a murderer like you. Since I didn't get you arrested for stealing, I must be a thief like you. But now you'll understand that, no, 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 I'm not like you. It's just that I gave you time to exercise your free will, which means I allowed you to steal. But at the same token, I gave you time to do tshuva, to repent, to return what you stole, to apologize, to make a commitment to change. And since you have not... I will now rebuke you. I now will rebuke you and show your rebuke and make it as clear as day that it's coming from God and no one else. You desecrated my Shabbat for the last 40 years. You desecrated my Torah for the last 50 years. You made fun of the sages. You made fun of the rabbis. You thought that the whole thing is a joke. Now I will tear you down to pieces where you will see that castle you call a house that you bought for a million and a half or two million dollars become worthless to you because you'll be laying in a bed. That major portfolio of stocks, bonds, and all types of investments be worthless to you because it's all going to pay all types of bills for medical expenses and IRS and lawsuits. 
All of the things that were important to you, like your cars and your watch collection, become worthless to you because you cannot even move your arms or drive a car by yourself. I will put you in such a situation where literally you will see the word of God exercised in your life where piece by piece of your body will start dying and you will know it's only coming from God and no one else. Why? Because as our sages teach us, there is a spirit of God among each and every living creature in order to give it life. The minute that HaKadosh Baruch Hu removes that spirit of God, that thing removes its, its life is gone. But it doesn't have to kill the person or whatever the entity is at once because he could remove parts of it. So for example, there's a spirit of God among a man, but all of a sudden, part of that spirit is removed from his finger. That finger dies. It needs to be amputated because it's killing the rest of the body. The Spirit of God is removed from a person's arm and that arm starts to die and eventually he can't move his arm. The Spirit of God is moved from his eyes and he starts losing his vision until he goes blind. The Spirit of God removes from the heart and the person dies. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has waited for you for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years to do tshuva, but you thought he was like you. You thought that he was a sinner because he didn't punish you. He let you do what you want because you thought he owes you something or you thought he didn't exist, chas v'shalom. So now HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, don't worry. Before you finish your time in this world, you will know that there is one God that created and one God that has always been here. There's never been another God. There never will be another God. There's no middleman. There's no human version of him. There's just one God. And before you leave this world, you will know that. Whether you like it or not. And by the time you've left the world, there will be nothing for you to do about it. Why? It's too late. Now, Rabbi Karim, when David Melech puts this in Tehilim, in Psalms, chapter 50, that means that the average human being, whether Jew or Gentile, is expected to know this and thereby remove any other type of belief that contradicts this. But yet people either are unlearned or are just simply choosing to be ignorant because it serves their purpose. And sometimes they'll have even teachers tell them, stop scaring people. God loves everybody. Well, let's see. What else can we find? Before this judgment day, that we have to literally beg Hashem to forgive us and give us more time so we can become better. Instead of being deluded to think that somehow everything is fine. I did good enough. I'm perfectly fine. I kept Shabbat. I gave some charity. 
So what if I have an extra five, six, seven million dollars in a bank account and I only gave Stockov ten thousand? What? Why well, have to give everything? I give ten thousand. Isn't that enough? That depends. How much do you have? I kept Shabbat. Isn't that enough? That depends. Did you really keep Shabbat or you just stopped working on that day? I learned to lie. Isn't that enough? That depends. How much time did you learn? What did you learn? When did you learn? And how much time did you have to learn? The minute a person thinks he's doing enough, it means that he does not understand what obligation he has to his Creator. And the Mishnah in Masechet Avot, the Mishnah is the foundation of our oral Torah. And for those of you that do not understand what the oral Torah is, the oral Torah is not some separate part of the Torah that the rabbis created. The oral Torah is the foundation of a Torah that was given to us at Mount Sinai alongside with the written Torah. The two cannot be separate. They're one and the same. They have to go together. And the oral Torah is profound and extraordinary that anyone that learns it, the more they learn it, the more they realize how this is a divine document that is indisputable. Why? Because when you look at the oral Torah, you realize that the oral Torah was not something that was a uh, just written with blind faith. But rather, the oral Torah, you have starting with the Mishnah, had investigators investigate every single word of it for the last couple of thousand years. You had the Tanaim, and then you had the Amoraim. This, this generation of the Amoraim investigated everything that's written in the Beretot and the Mishnah. And they put it in the Gemara. But after the Amoraim, you had the Savoraim. The, the generation of the Savoraim investigated everything that was written before them from the Tanaim and the Amoraim and the explanations. After the Savoraim came the Geonim, the Kabsadia Gaon and others, and investigated everything that was written before them by the Tanaim, by the Amoraim, by the Savoraim. And after the Geonim came the Rishonim, the Rambam, Rashi, Ramban, Rabbeinu Yonah, Rabbeinu Tam, the Tosfot. And they investigated every single word written before them by the Tanaim, by the Amoraim, by the Savoraim, by the Geonim. You're talking about analyzing endless amount of information all over the world, completely disconnected from each other. The Jews of Yemen are not connected to the Jews of Poland. The Jews of Russia are not connected to the Jews of Egypt or Morocco or Tripoli and different parts of the uh, 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 of even of even uh, uh, Russia itself. But they're all analyzing everything. They're analyzing it in France. They're analyzing it in Italy. They're analyzing it literally in every part of the Jewish world all over the world. 
as we are in the exile for the last couple of thousand years. And they're analyzing it and scrutinizing every single piece of document that exists, every word, every comma, every sentence, every interpretation of what was written, what was said, but everything that happened, but it didn't end there. Because after the Rishonim came the Achronim. Hundreds and hundreds of years of analyzing, analyzing everything that was written before them by the Tanaim, by the Amulaim, by the Savalaim, by the Geonim, by the Rishonim, and then the Achronim, the sages of our day, all analyzing every single thing you can possibly imagine in every way possible and yet never changing anything you go find any other document or idea that has survived the test of time like the Torah did and we're not just talking about the written Torah we're talking about the oral Torah so when the Mishnah in Masechah Davot says something, something that was written 2,000 years ago or more, that means that this statement has survived the test of time and all types of scrutiny and analysis by countless sages that exerted every hour of their life to chasing the truth and understanding it. And the Mishnah in Masechet Avot, in chapter 1, says, Ba'asara ma'amarot nivra ha'olam, u'ma talmud lomar, v'alo b'ma'amar echad yechol li'ibarot, e'la li'ipara min ha'reshaim sh'me'abdin et ha'olam sh'nivra ba'asara ma'amarot, the world was created with ten divine utterances. What does this teach us? As it could have been created by one divine utterance. Rather, it was done so in order to exact punishment from the wicked who destroy the world which was created with ten utterances, and to give reward to the righteous who sustained the world, which was created with ten utterances. So this Mishnah is a foundational teaching of Judaism, but is also directly related to Judgment Day. As Ravadya writes here in Anaf Etzavot, and he clarifies, what is this Mishnah telling us? First of all, you should understand that in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, that you're going to be praying over these next couple of days, you're going to have prayers where there is the expression of kingship of Hashem mentioned ten times. So the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 32a, asks, what do these ten expressions of kingship correspond to? Why do we say these ten different ways of expressing Hashem's kinghood? And Rabbi Yochanan says, this is representing what was stated in this Mishnah. The prayer that you're going to say in Rosh Hashanah is representing what's said in this Mishnah. 
which is that Hashem created the world with ten utterances, ten statements, if you will. But why? Why did He create the world with ten utterances if He obviously could have created it with one? What does He need to do it in ten utterances? What's the point? So the Mishnah itself explains. This is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to know that the way that he created the world is not just because, but rather it's all directly related to the way he rules the world. If a person ruins something that took only a moment to make, let's just say, for example, a little kid takes two pieces of Lego connects them together and his little brother comes and ruins it most likely he'll be a little upset but not too upset why? it takes two seconds to put the two pieces of Legos together but if he spent the whole day building some castle with his Lego pieces he took over a thousand pieces of Lego and he put them together and then he walks away from the room and his little brother comes and destroys the castle now when he discovers it, surely he's going to be upset. Even if he loves his brother, he's going to be very upset. Why? It took him a lot of time. So says here on this Mishnah that Ravavadya Yosef brings, there is no comparison between a person who destroys something that was fashioned in a day and a person who destroys the product of many days of work. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch explains to us that the wicked people that go against the Torah, that, this, that they go against Hashem, that simply create a new rule according to their likings and their lusts, their punishment is much greater than they imagine. Why? Because this world wasn't created just with one utterance. It was created in several steps in order to teach you that just like it's as if it took more effort to create, therefore the damage that you made was more significant than you think. And at the same time, for the righteous people, the righteous people that kept the world alive by following the word of Hashem, their reward will be also much more significant because they kept many more things alive to their righteousness so if somebody tells you that you have no obligation to God you don't owe him anything he owes you or somebody died for you or he died for you or some other type of nonsense that people teach in the world today you have to ask them how is that possible when it's the opposite of all logic that's documented for the last several thousand years and has been scrutinized by an endless amount of sages and all agree that this is the truth. You just came here in the year 2023 according to the Christian Gregorian calendar. You simply are smarter than everybody that came before you. Now, the truth is that the following Mishnah explains why people do it. Why do people distort the Torah? whether it's to idolatry or it's to all types of other heretical teachings. Why do they do it? 
The second Mishnah says in chapter 5, Asara Dorot Miadam Vad Noach, Dodia Kama Echapayim Lefanav, Shikola Dorot Ayumach Isimu Bain, Achevia Lemet Meamabun, Asara Dorot Minoach Vad Avraham. להודיע כמה ערך אפיים לפניו, שכל הדורות היו מכעיסים ובאים עד שבא אברהם אבינו וקיבל שכר כולם. There were ten generations from אדם הראשון until נוח. To teach us how great is God's forbearance for all the generations increasingly angered him until he brought the waters of the flood upon them and destroyed them. There were ten generations from נוח until אברהם אבינו. To teach us how great is God's forbearance for all of the generations increasingly angered him until Avraham came and received the reward for all of them. So here, Rabbi Vadia tells us, look what the Mishnah is telling us. From the time HaKadosh Baruch created the world, we already started going the wrong way. Whether it's Adam HaRishon not listening exactly to what Hashem said and getting thrown out of the Garden of Eden, or is the generation of Noah that took it to a completely different level of wickedness that you could possibly imagine, and Hashem had to destroy them eventually. People constantly went against God, but He didn't punish them right away. In fact, He gave them a lot of good. He gave them a lot of good to such an extent that their punishment became greater as a result of the good that they got. Why? In the beginning, the Midrash Rabbah in chapter 34, section 13, in Bereshit Rabbah, says that the abundance that Hashem gave the people from the time of creation until Noah was incomprehensible to us. Why? The people were extraordinarily healthy, huge in size and powerful, and the world that was around them was clearly there to serve them. The lions and the other animals were small like ants next to them. They were powerful where they were able to literally go through from one end of the world or to the other end of the world in no time. The weather was always perfect. They didn't have to work hard. They didn't have to toil. Even child labor was, although there was a curse that child labor would be difficult, it wasn't as difficult as it is today. In fact, it was a world of difference because Hashem gave them an enormous amount of abundance in the beginning in order to show them how great he is to give them so much. Where the Chachamim teach us that when a woman would give birth during a day, the baby was already born talking. And the mother would tell him, go and get me a stone so I can cut your umbilical cord. But since the world was a very different place than it is today, as soon as that baby went to go get a stone, he was attacked by a demon. Start fighting him. And he was powerful enough to fight this demon, literally, if he was born two seconds ago. 
And then a rooster would make it sounds of waking up the world. And a demon would say to the baby, you're lucky that the Hashem created a rooster to tell me that it's morning because right now my power is gone. I can't fight you anymore. We don't have any power during the day. And then the baby would respond to the demon. You're lucky and your mother is lucky that Hashem created the rooster to remind you to get out of here because I'm going to tear you to pieces. This literally was a daily conversation. This is not something that we can possibly imagine. This sounds like a comic book. This sounds like some type of superhero films. Even the superhero films that don't make anything as creative as this. But this was the norm in the world. The amount of abundance that a Kadosh who gave mankind at this time was so extraordinary that it would seem to us like it's already heaven. But as the people sinned more, eventually Hashem destroyed the world, but He didn't necessarily take away all of this great, because as He recreated the world, He still had Noah, they had obviously a certain amount of power and intellect and, and all types of abilities, but this continued to get worse and worse to the point where today a person has to uh, check his blood pressure just to see if he can function, has to eat certain food just to make sure that he doesn't die, has to only see animals on a screen because he's scared the animals will kill him, has to work for 40-50% of every single day just to make sure he has something to eat. It doesn't seem like the world was created to serve you in this world that we live in today. And why is that the case? Because as the Gemara says in Masechet Sanhedrin, page 108, A, the generation of the flood became arrogant, became haughty and wicked only because of the abundance of good that the Holy One, blessed be He, bestowed upon them. As the prophet Job said in chapter 21, verse 9 through 13, their houses are at peace from fear, and the staff of God is not upon them. They raise their voices with the drum and the harp, and they rejoice to the sound of instruments. They exhaust their days with goodness and their years with pleasantness. And this is what caused them to say to God, depart from us. We don't wish to know your ways. And therefore, says Rabbi Akiva, the generation of the flood lost their share of the world to come. And Rabbi Menachem, the son of Rabbi Yossi, says, what was their punishment? Losing their world of the world to come seems like what? What is the big deal of losing the world to come? What is it? The punishment of lack of gratitude to the Creator for the abundance that they gave, that He gave them, it's not just that they just died, but rather that they're punished in Genom for eternity, where even after HaKadosh Baruch Hu will resurrect the dead, their souls and the souls of the wicked people that desecrated God's name and went to idolatry, went to heresy, caused the masses to, to sin, 
those types of people suffering in Genom will never end. Even when a Baruch Hu ends this world, their Genom will never end. And anyone who says that maybe Hashem is just going to let it go, says the Gemara in Yerushalmi, Masichet Tani, chapter 1, Alakha number 1, one who says that God gives up punishing the sinner, may his own innards be given up. Rather, a person must understand that Akadosh Baruch Hu doesn't punish right away. He is slow to anger, but he does exact vengeance. Meaning that a person should never ever think for a moment, for a moment, that just because he didn't punish this or that criminal, therefore his punishment is over, it's no longer relevant in his generation or in his family or anything like that. Now this is important for a person to know because if we all know that we are in a debt, we have an obligation. But we don't really know where we stand. How much is the obligation? How much is the obligation? The person says, yeah, but I did tshuva. I stopped being intermarried. I stopped violating Shabbat. I stopped doing a lot of these things. Should I still be worried? Well, let's see. Have you ever started a mitzvah and not finished it? I'm not talking about violating Shabbat. I'm not talking about murdering anybody or stealing. Then obviously, I don't need to explain to you that's a big sin. I'm talking about, have you ever started a mitzvah and just simply decided, you know what, I don't feel like doing it. You started doing good things. You decided, you know what, eh, I don't feel like, I'll do something else. I'll do something else. Say holy sages in the Midrash Tanchuma Parashat Ekev, section Vav, 6. Our sages teach us one who starts a mitzvah without completing it is burying his wife and kids. Hashem Yishmovi Yatzil. What? Huh? Hold on a sec. What did you just say? Exactly. One who starts a mitzvah and doesn't finish it can be punished with burying his wife and kids and where do we learn it from from Yehuda says the Midrash Yehuda began to save Yosef his brother from his brothers they wanted to kill him he said no no don't kill him let's sell him he really planned on saving him and getting him out of there but you know what he missed out he didn't end up saving him they sold them. Say the Chachamim, for that missed opportunity where even though he started a mitzvah and he saved his brother Yosef from murder, he didn't complete the mitzvah. And therefore, he saw his wife and kids die. Erve Onan, even though they were wicked, and Akadosh killed them for their sins, still their father, Yehuda, had to suffer had to suffer seeing his kids die. Why did, he, why did he deserve the suffering? Because he started the mitzvah and did not finish. And this is not a unique idea of the Midrash. This is a foundational teaching that you will find in all aspects of the Torah. Whether it's the Sefer Chaye Adam in Perik Aleph, uh, Perik, uh, Aleph 
which is actually an halachic book, or it's the Merulat Ma'or in page 390, or the Shla in Masechet Yoma, or the Mesivat Yesharim by the Ramchal in uh, chapter 7, all of them, all of them say the same exact thing of what I just mentioned. The danger of starting a mitzvah and not completing it. The danger of starting a mitzvah and not completing it. Now why? Why is this such a horrible thing? Well, let's explain. The Mishnah says in Masechet Avot that each time a person does a good deed, he creates an angel that will defend him. And each time he makes a sin, he makes a prosecuting angel, like a demon, that will go against him. But if a person just looks at it from that simple perspective, he thinks that, okay, so I have a bunch of angels that are good, a bunch of angels that are bad, what's the big deal? You see, the Mishnah is talking about if you complete the mitzvah, you create an angel. But what if you don't complete the mitzvah? What if you don't complete the mitzvah? You decide, you know what, I'm going to give $1,000 a month to Irgun Be'ezot Hashem to help Am Yisrael do tshuva, to help more Jews get closer to Hashem, to help more righteous people convert to Judaism, to help a Kadosh whose name be publicized all over the world. Help both the spiritually and the physically poor Jews in the world get closer to Hashem. So I'm going to donate $1,000 a month. Okay, good for you. You start one month, two months, and three months, and all of a sudden, you uh, watch as you are, and the rabbi says all types of things that you don't really like. Not that they're not true. They're true, but you don't like it. Why? Because it affects you. He tells you that, uh, listen, according to Allah, your wife is not modest. According to Allah, you're not really keeping Shabbat. According to Allah, this and that, and you don't like to hear it. So you say, you know what, I'm canceling my donation. I don't like it. I don't like this rabbi. I'm going to stop. You have a problem. You have a problem. Why you have a problem? You started a mitzvah. You started a mitzvah. And now you started creating an angel. But the angel is not fully, he's not fully built. He's not fully built. He's only partially built. So he goes up to Shammai and he says, yeah, this guy is good. This guy is a good guy. The bed dean of Shammai says, well, why, why, don't, why do you only have one arm, Mr. Angel? No, no, it's okay, it's okay. This guy's a good guy. Give him a good, favorable judgment on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, fine, but, but why do you only have one arm? Oh, it's because uh, he didn't complete me. What do you mean he didn't complete you? Yeah, you know what the truth is? He said he's going to commit for one year of donations, and he really only did three months, so I'm missing an arm, a leg, and one of the wings too. Maybe you shouldn't give him a reward. And as the sages teach, the defendant becomes a prosecutor. Hashem Yishmovi. See, you decided to do something good, but you did not finish it. It's a problem. And it's a very big problem that a lot of people don't realize is one of the foundational teachings of the Torah. 
So how come the Mishnah says to us, look, you have ten generations, ten generations of people between Adam and Noah. Ten generations from Noah to Avram. And by the time Avram got there, he got the reward for everybody. Why? Why would Avram get the reward for everybody? The Sefer Lechem Shemaim says there were other righteous people in the world at the time of Avram Avinu. Shem and Ever. Shem, the son of Noah. And Ever. They were in the world. They were righteous people. And they were teaching Torah. But they weren't going out to do Kiruv and helping people do Tshuva. They simply waited. Whoever came to them, they helped them. Avram, on the other hand, he went out there and he sacrificed everything he had to go help people do Tshuva. Whether it's money or it's time or it's effort. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, all of your reward is not just going to be based on the good deed that you did but rather you're going to get all of the people that were supposed to get a reward over the last 20 generations but didn't get it because either they left the good path and became wicked or they had unfinished mitzvot all of their reward goes to you So when a person decides to take a burden upon himself or herself to go and say, you know what, I'm going to use the gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me to publicize his name, to help build another holy Torah organization, another holy place where there's going to be more people serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu and running away from falsehood, running away from lies, running away from idolatry. I'm going to take the gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me, whether it's money or it's time or it's effort. And I'm not just going to build a place because I like it or it's convenient or I can attend it. No, no, I'm going to build it because it's successful at what it does. It helps sanctify HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, not just convenient because it's local to me or not because it's convenient because it's going to put my name on the door. No, I'm going to use the gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me to publicize his name person does that there's no end to their reward but on the other hand when a person says yeah I want to do something but they don't do it or they start it and they don't finish some of the Chachamim say it's better off they never started because now you have a deformed angel now you have a deformed angel now Rabbeinu Yonah says in chapter in the first gate, in section number three, where some people delay their tshuva simply because of ignorance. Because they are among those people who do not believe that there's a consequence for sinning and that there's no punishment. They simply don't think that it's a punishment. Why? They heard somebody say God loves everybody. And therefore they figured that therefore God loves me. 
But what about the part of the Torah that says, at Esav Saneti, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says he hates Esav, or he hates the sinners, they're considered his enemies. You're just going to cancel those verses from the Torah and just assume you know better than everybody else, including God? Sometimes people will stubbornly choose to ignore the truth. Not because they're stupid intellectually, but rather because they're stupid spiritually. Where they've committed so many sins to the point they've become addicted to the sins. They've become addicted to stealing, addicted to lust, addicted to lying, addicted to all types of things that are against Hashem that the thought of changing their direction is so extraordinary to them and impossible to them. They say, no, 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 it, it cannot be true. It cannot be true. And only until HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself breaks them to pieces do they realize they have to repent, whether they like it or not. And some people do, but some people still don't, and they end up paying for that. Now what if a person has gotten a few slaps from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and realized that they have to go in the right path? Don't think for a moment that just because you've gone on the right path for the last year or two years or five years or ten years or twenty years or even fifty years, you finished. Because as long as you're in the world today, that means you still have an obligation. You still have more to do. And the only way that each and every single one of us can fulfill our obligation is by thinking of things not as an individual, but rather as a nation. Each and every single one of us has to know I'm not only responsible for my actions, I am responsible for my fellow Jews' actions. I'm responsible for my brother's actions. Even if he's not really my biological brother, I'm still responsible for it because he's my neighbor, because he's close to me, whether physically or, or otherwise. I'm responsible for him. So he's following lies. I have to do something about it. And you know what? If I try to do something about it and I tell them the truth and they still don't want to listen, that should not deter me from doing it again to somebody else. And even if I've tried with everybody around me and it simply doesn't work, that should not deter me from helping people that are not close to me, but rather far from me. But I can still help them. How? By supporting the Torah and the truthful teachings and the different things that will help those people get closer to Hashem. When a person invests into Kiruv, invests into publicizing the truth in the world, they're not doing the rabbi or the organization a favor. They're not doing God a favor. They're doing themselves a favor. Why? Because they're putting themselves in a situation where they're showing a Kadosh Baruch Hu, a Kadosh Baruch Hu, you gave me gifts. You gave me much more than I deserve. You gave me money, more than I need to eat. You gave me a house, more than I need to live. You gave me a car, much better than what I need to drive. You gave me all types of things beyond what I really deserve and beyond what I even need. At the very least, what I can do is use part of it to go and publicize that. 
to go and publicize your holy name in every corner in the world to make sure that there's no soul left on earth that does not know how great you are. When a person understands the amount of good that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives him, he can then understand the wrath of the punishment for those that forsake it. But as long as a person only thinks that there's good and doesn't think that there's bad, that's only because they think that God owes them that good. They think that they're entitled to that good, even if they themselves are not good. And therefore those types of people don't share their good with anything good. So you see, Rabotai Karim, when our sages tell us that we have an extraordinary day coming up, a Rosh Hashanah, a judgment day, every single one of us wants to do whatever we can, whatever we possibly can, to, to sweeten that judgment. There's a couple of things that we can do. One thing is that's above all, above all, is to help do people do tshuva. 99% of the public cannot help the public do tshuva directly. Either they don't know how to speak or they don't know what to say. But the good news is that HaKadosh Baruch gave the people that are watching this a direct vehicle, an organization comprised of many, many talented people that can do it for you. Whether it's the different shulim that we do, the lectures, the videos, the USBs, the books, the uh, major events, the small events, all the different things that the organization does, all of this is something that you can utilize to help people do tshuva. Supporting the organization is something that is a favor to yourself. This is why people always find it odd that when they call me or they, they try to call and they send messages where they say, I want to talk to you about donations. And I always say, no, I don't talk about money. I don't, you want to donate? Donate on the website or send a check. Oh, no, but I want to discuss. No discussion. Oh, but how does it work? It works. If you send money, we deposit it. That's how it works. Oh, but can't just, I don't discuss that stuff. Why? I don't have time. I'm busy saving people. I'm busy learning Torah. I'm busy teaching. You want to donate? Donate. Donate for yourself. Oh, but I'm not going to convince you. I'm not going to sell you. I'm not a good salesman for this stuff. In fact, I'm the worst salesman in the world when it comes to selling Torah. Why? Because I realize it's your obligation, not mine. It's no offense. It's a reality. You donate to help people do tshuva. You did yourself a favor. You didn't do me any favor. You're not paying my bills. Certainly we're grateful that there's more great partners and more people that are supporting, but the reality is, the favor is to them. We're just happy we can do even more to help more people. But the problem is that many people forget that, and they think that their donations are somehow something that puts them in a, oh, I finished, I'm good. I don't need to do any more. I did enough. No, 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 you don't understand. Whatever you give, whether it's a hundred or it's a hundred million, will not be enough to fulfill your obligation to a Kadosh Baruch Hu. But rather, He will reward you based on your efforts. 
Meaning, you can never pay him enough and do enough to even pay for a single breath of air that he allows you to breathe in or breathe out. Because a person would be willing, if a person had a hundred billion dollars, and don't listen, either you give me all the hundred billion dollars or you're not going to be breathing anymore. What is the person going to do? He's going to give all the money for that. So there's no way that we can ever give enough to HaKadosh Baruch the public says name. But he still will reward us for our efforts. Meaning that the more we invest into his Torah, the more he will reward us for it. But the same token, the more we act as ungrateful people to HaKadosh Baruch and think, now listen, I gave a thousand bucks over there. Yeah, but I should give you a million. Yeah I, yeah, I studied over there. Yeah, but I should give you 24 hours. Yeah, I uh, prayed over there. Yeah, but HaKadosh Baruch said prayed three times a day. And all of these different things where people think they're just doing just enough, it's not enough. But Hashem will reward you for your efforts or punish you for them. And it's important for a person to arrive at Rosh Hashanah understanding that they have to do as much as possible to fulfill their obligation. Even though it's impossible to fulfill the obligation, you still have to try your best to fulfill it. The moment you think you have fulfilled your obligation and you're enough, you have a very serious problem. We have to arrive to HaKadosh Baruch Hu begging and pleading with Him to give us more time to serve Him, more time to fulfill our obligation. And for that we get rewarded. And Chazal says in the Gemara Masech Bab that on the day of Rosh Hashanah, Kadosh Baruch Hu will fulfill the wishes of those people that are devout regardless of what they ask for. Even if they don't deserve it, will fulfill it. And I heard this from Rabbi Biederman twice already, where there's an extraordinary zgula that on Rosh Hashanah, those people that took everything I just said to heart, they're serious about doing tshuva. They're serious about serving Hashem. They're serious about continuing to improve themselves and doing their best. Those people, they can get an extra gift. What's that gift? On the eve of Rosh Hashanah, from the eve of Rosh Hashanah until the end of Rosh Hashanah, a person can read Sefer Tehilim. Aside from the prayers, the Kiddush, and all the other stuff that you have to do on that day, all that extra time you have, spend it reading the book of Tehillim, the book of Psalms, and do whatever you can to complete it twice. A person that completes the Sefer Tehillim twice can ask for whatever they want. It's obviously something that is normal, and not a, uh, you know, listen, I want to uh, become Superman and fly in the air. And Akadosh will give it to them. There was a famous Torah scholar who was married for 22 years without having kids. One day he says that he found a letter right before Rosh Hashanah. They never, till this day, he doesn't know who put it there. In his mailbox, saying that this gula, read the book of Tehillim, the book of Psalms, twice, from beginning to end, 
during Rosh Hashanah. Meaning, this is even during the night. Rosh Hashanah, starting at night. Read it twice during Rosh Hashanah. It's a school out to having more kids. It's a school out to getting married. It's a school out for Parnassah. It's a school out for a lot of different things. But again, remember, these gulot, they're not for people that are violating Shabbat. They're not for people that are idol worshippers. They're not for people that are desecrating God's name on a regular basis. They're for people that are already devout. HaKadosh Baruch says, you, the devout, I'm going to forgive you and then also see what else you're asking for. You're asking to have more kids? No problem. You're asking to have more money? No problem. You're asking to get married? No problem. Whatever you're asking for, I'll give it to you. But first, you have to be devout. Once you're devout, Baruch will open a gate bigger than you can possibly imagine. But if a person arrives at Judgment Day thinking that he's doing God a favor, God owes him something, whether there's more than one God, they already have a foundational mistake that's literally unacceptable. So Bezot Hashem, this will give people the proper amount of chizuk to go in the right direction, but at the same time, scare the wicked enough to perhaps consider leaving the wrong direction. But for those that choose to stay wicked, at least now, they'll know what their punishment is going to be when the time comes and they won't be able to say, I didn't know. So even for that, it serves a purpose. And for that, I only say, because I see some of the comments of some nasty people saying dumb things. So at the very least, for them, that's the purpose of why Hashem allowed them to listen to this. So now I'll take some questions. And visit Hashem, we'll go from there. Who give us the answers? Let's see. Uh, Rashi Masechik Yerushim, Daf 31, says that uh, wicked are punished for 12 months. How do you reconcile Nechalet Shabbat? And I explained this in the movies, uh, Genom, exactly that, uh, that sugya, which when it says Shtemes Chodesh, it's uh, referring to a few things. Number one, it's referring to a trial of 12 months. Number two, it's referring to a place called Shtemes Chodesh. Watch the film and you'll understand. I don't want to repeat the same thing 500 times. Um, thoughts on Wasting Seed. We have a film called Tikkun Ablit. You go to the website tikkunablit.org and you just go to my YouTube page, watch the film called Tikkun Ablit. You'll learn a lot of things about Wasting Seed and how it's forbidden according to all opinions, both for Jews and for Gentiles, and it's actually one of the worst things that a person can do to their life in every aspect, including their financial situation. Because when a Kadosh Baruch Hu sees that a person is wasting their essence, uh, then in essence, a Kadosh Baruch Hu gives away whatever they were supposed to be giving, whatever they were supposed to get to other people. So a person loses money when he does that. 
When will the Messiah be revealed? Uh, it says that that the uh, the Goel, the Mashiach, will come when uh, people do tshuva. More people need to do tshuva. More people need to repent. I want to marry a Jewish woman so she could become Muslim. Uh, well, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will punish you not only for um, if, you know, the uh, if something like that actually happens, but because you're a Gentile, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will actually punish you for even the thought. So, in fact, just you making a statement that... Uh, says that uh, you want to defile a Jewish woman, you want to go against God, for that you'll get punished. What kind of punishment? Just imagine what happened to all of the enemies of any powerful nation, whether it's the uh, you know enemies of uh, today or of, of the previous generation. You know, if you look at the, uh, the, the Arabs, the Muslim people, they weren't exactly the nicest people throughout the history. They've always been uh, people that uh, like to kill people. It's one of the things that they're known for. And uh, it's one of their uh, uh, stamps of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, of existence, where that's one of the purposes. They killed a lot of people. And they didn't kill people just, uh, you know, for the sake of survival. They killed people that uh, didn't want to conform to their beliefs and so on. They were very vicious about it. So imagine those people. They chopped off heads. They uh, killed, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the parents, kids. They had no, uh, didn't make a difference with us. Just like now. Just like now what they do. Now, imagine being their enemy. The punishment that you're going to get for making that statement is much, much worse. Much, much worse. Go watch one of the Holocaust films, documentaries. Shows how the enemies of God murdered six million Jews and millions of other non-Jews in horrible, horrific ways, vicious ways. Your punishment? Much, much worse. Much, much worse. Horrible, horrible. Not even for all the sins that you've made until this day. That is a different story. Just for that statement. Just for the statement that you, you said, the punishment you're going to get is going to make the Holocaust look like kindergarten. And this is something that every person needs to know. That when a person goes against God, they have to pay the bill. There is no free lunch. You can't just go against God and assume that he doesn't care. That's the next question. Robert, do you have any chance your lectures in Spanish? Uh, yeah, we have a Spanish channel. You just go to uh, BH Spanish website, bhspanish.org, or you go to the uh, YouTube page, uh, Rabbi Yaron Ruven Spanish, 
And you'll see that there's, Baruch Hashem, hundreds of lectures that we have that have uh, uh, Spanish subtitles in them. And Bezat Hashem, uh, at some point in the near future, we're going to actually have them as dubbing, meaning that the voice itself will be in uh, in different languages. Bezat Hashem. What if we were told we don't have to keep Shabbat if we haven't converted? Uh, it's true. You haven't converted. You don't have to keep Shabbat. But if you plan on converting, uh, then uh, you need to keep Shabbat 99%. Uh, not only if it's because it's a... Uh, uh, you need to know what it is, but also it's practiced. You need to know if you want it. If you, you, know, if you don't want to keep Shabbat or you're having a hard time keeping Shabbat, then it's better you don't convert. You stay as a righteous Gentile, and uh, there's no problem with that. Uh, but if you're not interested in keeping Shabbat, um, that's, again, as a Gentile, it's not a, you, you don't have the, you know, you don't have the obligation of keeping Shabbat. But if you want to convert, then, you know, then you have to uh, think, why do you even want to convert if you don't want to keep the mitzvot? What if people don't say what they do for others, yet say when they feel guided? They don't say what they do for others? I don't really understand the question, I'm sorry. I don't know what that means. Uh, how do we reconcile Pasuk and Tehillim that says, spirit that does not return and the concept of Vigilgalim? I'm not really understanding. There's commentary on a million different things. You're asking me to reconcile what commentary? I don't know. You could just look at the commentary of what it says over there. Um, as far as reincarnation, there's reincarnation. As far as uh, certain uh, uh, verses in the Torah, there's commentaries on them. You have to look at certain sections of the Torah that speak specifically about that, and, and they discuss all of these things, but... This is not the place or the time for me to uh, become Rashi uh, and uh, compare verses for you. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, reincarnation is very much a part of Judaism. There's a whole book called Shara Gilgulim written about it, and many sages discuss it. It's not something that's uh, foreign uh, teachings. But as far as to compare every single verse in the Torah about what this and that, that's something that requires in-depth study. You have to go look into the books, open them up, and, you know, delve into it. Um, since Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbat should we do Tshuva and confess our sins to Hashem or wait until the second day of Rosh Hashanah no the person has to confess his sin and do Tshuva immediately now not wait for just Rosh Hashanah but oh, of course you do it on Shabbat you do it on on every day every day there's never a uh, time that you're not allowed to do Tshuva uh, does reading Tehillim twice during Rosh Hashanah include commentary no no just Tehillim itself uh, do we need to read in uh, Hebrew? If you know how to read it in Hebrew, then certainly it's better to read it in Hebrew. If not, then read it in whatever language you know. Hashem is not going to judge you based on uh, your uh, something you don't know. Just like he won't judge a poor person for not giving uh, you know millions of dollars. He judges people based on where they stand. Does the recitation of TV or you guys really... We say the two have to be continuous right after each other uh, without talking or doing anything else. To my knowledge, it just needs to be done during that day. Even if you break it up in a couple of pieces throughout the day, 
right, as long as it's done within that day, within Rosh Hashanah. Uh, please teach uh, how one receives a final judgment. It's not like a crystal ball showing the whole year, or is it? Uh, well, Hashem is going to look at every single action that a person did. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, and he's going to determine whether the person is a uh, part of the builders of the world or the destroyers of the world. Why is it called destroyer of the world? Uh, like the Mishnah says, because when a person makes sins, uh, they're not only hurting themselves, but they're hurting the world, where the whole world goes, you know, there's a scale, not just for a person individually, but there's a scale for the whole world. When a person makes more sins... Uh, the the scale goes heavier on the on the whole world. So he's in essence putting a uh, uh, obligation on the entire world, uh, and therefore he could bring damage uh, to the whole world as a result of his actions. TikTok live isn't working. Yeah, it's because I rebuked the guy and uh, those and uh, saying stupid things, so they took me off. You're not allowed to uh, tell people the truth. Over there, you're allowed to just pretend everything's okay. Uh, 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 does Tehillim need to be finished within the first day of Rosh Hashanah or two days? To be honest with you, I think I, I don't know for sure. I think it's within the first day. I think it's within the first day. I don't know if it's a, uh, uh, if it's the two days. I don't think it's the two days. And one reason why that's that is because it's technically considered two different days. It's not. Uh, um, it's not. It's a. Uh, I don't think it's a uh, two days makes sense. Uh, you're talking about. All the things people should be doing to wake the ones who are, who are doing wrong. So that's why I was asking. What if you just say when you feel guided, or does it have to be all the time? Oh, uh, well, I mean, listen, it all depends. If it's a Jew is obligated to rebuke, if he sees his, his fellow Jew uh, making, uh, you know, sins that are notable sins that are you know sins that are it's not a uh, secret that it's a sin uh, he has to say something uh, but a gentile is not obligated to rebuke so you know as of a, uh, you know uh, uh, as of right now when a person didn't convert uh, they don't have an obligation to rebuke and uh, and I wouldn't even recommend that they rebuke directly what I would recommend for most people both Jews and Gentiles is to rebuke indirectly which is to help people uh, learn the truth uh, by watching lectures, meaning by sharing lectures or books or different teachings that actually teach the truth. So, for example, if you see somebody violating Shabbat, send them a lecture, a video that we've made about Shabbat. Uh, if you see somebody is immoral, send them a lecture or the video about Tikkun Abrit. If you see somebody is a uh, you know thief or something like that, send them a lecture, a video, or a book, about how you know this honest business is uh, against the Torah and how he's going to get punished for it and so on. So the point is is to is to bring them the truth uh, and and not necessarily be the uh, the, the voice uh, directly. Just because again, 
sometimes a person can mean well that they want to tell people the truth but uh, they don't really know how to communicate the right way and sometimes they can do more harm than good uh, so most times I would say it's better for a person to share uh, the uh, uh, you know the teachings rather than to teach them themselves okay Did Hashem send spies just to say what they seen? Uh, no, the people, uh, Hashem didn't send the spies. The, the people asked. Uh, the people asked for uh, somebody to spy on our land. And he allowed them to do it simply because free will. He doesn't want to get in the way of free will. Hatimatova. It says that Yitzchak saw Gehenom open beneath Esav. And he still gave him a blessing. Why did this happen? Uh, well, actually, the um, the the whole um, uh, story here is not quite that. Where the uh, after Yaakov came and got the blessing, the uh, Itzchak got in essence the the power or the the, the shechina went upon him to give the blessing and whatever that's why he couldn't change it after when he uh, when Esav came Yitzhak was blind but he was able to see things spiritually he saw that the genome was opening so he thought that uh, he made a mistake by giving the uh, the blessing uh, to uh, to Yaakov initially he thought that there was a mistake being made but then he realized the mistake wasn't made uh, and that's why he couldn't change it couldn't change the blessing to give it back to Esav. Uh, but he gave the blessing to Esav uh, because, but it was not the same type of blessing. It was a blessing that was meant for the other brother. Both both brothers had a blessing. And in essence, the blessing is that when one is on top, the other one is on the bottom. They can't both be leaders. They can't both be winners because they're in essence the opposites. They're part of the uh, ultimate war of good against evil. My boss is two weeks late on the okay, on the last paycheck of my contract, and that was the money that I was counting to use to get closer to Orthodox community in order to convert. Also, it's been a couple of years now that I'm trying to improve my financial state, but if anything, it has become worse. Kudarov, tell me what's the message here. The process of changing from being a Gentile to a Jew is never an easy one. Uh, it's not supposed to be easy. If it's going smooth, there's usually something wrong. Uh, and in essence, you have to understand that the Jewish people have sacrificed everything uh, and anything for the sake of remaining Jewish for the last 3,335 years. 
so for a person to think that just uh, you know for a few dollars they'll be able to join this uh, holy people or if just because of a little bit of knowledge uh, they'll just be able to you know just jump on this bandwagon that uh, you know many uh, countless countless millions have sacrificed their everything their lives included for the sake of keeping their Judaism keeping Judaism alive and serving Hashem and being the holy nation that he created for a person to think that they could just join that just because they want to or just because they have some money or just because they know a few things uh, that means they don't really know the first thing about Judaism. You have to understand that Judaism, part of being Jewish is understanding the struggle that's required, that's necessary in order for a person to be a righteous Jew. So the struggle that you're having right now, although it may be unpleasant, uh, it is a necessity. It is a necessity that a Kadosh Baruch Hu decreed into the world in order to test you, to see if you really want to be Jewish for the right reason or you want to be Jewish because of something superficial. Uh, so I think that the uh, the more a person understands that the struggle is part of Judaism altogether and part of serving Hashem even without being Jewish, uh, the more they'll get actually uh, they'll have more success and the more they'll understand the value of their journey uh, more than just focusing on the destination. Uh, just in the last uh, couple of days, Baruch Hashem, we had a uh, two different um, families. Uh, uh, convert uh, in uh, an individual uh, who's been with us already for several years, went to a lot of difficulties, uh, had a, uh, a lot of ups and downs in his uh, in his journey. But Baruch Hashem completed it, uh, completed his, his conversion uh, in uh, the Bed Dean in, uh, in Canada, I believe in Montreal, uh, Montreal, Toronto, uh, just uh, yesterday, Baruch Hashem. And this is after many, many years of struggles and difficulties and so on, but Baruch Hashem, he, uh, he did it. Another family, the Baruch Hashem, uh, uh, you know, seven people uh, went to the Beddin and converted just uh, yesterday or two days ago. Uh, and uh, this is a family that went through difficulties that make your financial difficulties uh, look like uh, you know, a video game. Uh, you know, so again, I'm not saying, I'm not discounting your difficulties. Every person has their own difficulty, but you have to understand that difficulty is necessary. But after all the difficulties, whether it was family difficulties, financial difficulties, all types of confusions and, 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 and uh, different major uh, sacrifices that they had to make, uh, eventually a Kadosh Baruch Hu decreed that they have to become Jewish and they cannot stay a non-Jew for an extra minute. And therefore it, it happened. It happened. It didn't happen in a uh, the the perfect time according to financials. It didn't happen a perfect time, uh, you know, uh, based on uh, uh, anything else other than the fact that Hakadosh Baruch Hu decreed it. Uh, it wasn't because of their financials. It wasn't because of their knowledge. It wasn't because of their uh, looks. It wasn't because of uh, their location. It wasn't because of anything superficial. It was simply because of all the sacrifices that they made and Hashem eventually decreed, okay, now I'm ready to accept you into my people. And literally, the, the, from one day to the other, same thing with the other uh, convert that I told you. Just uh, a month or two ago, he was telling me about how he's struggling with different things in the, uh, you know, as part of the process and it seems like it's never going to end. And when they told him that, uh, okay, uh, your conversion is going to be in two days from now. It was not only a surprise to him, it was a surprise to me. Uh, even, so it's a uh, stops. 
that a person has on their way to uh, completing their uh, their life's purpose. Uh, because even after a person converts, there's a life of being a Jew, a life of sanctifying Hashem's name. This is something that is a uh, uh, not uh, uh, something you just do before you convert. Uh, and it's not something that becomes easier. It becomes more difficult over time. So a person needs to know that struggle is a necessary part of serving Hashem. If one sinned a lot before, but did shuvah and progressed a lot in the past year, will the judgment focus on the most recent year? Uh, sure, yeah, the past year, yes. Uh, what are Bezot Hashem goals for the next year? Anything you can check for the Rav. What are the organization's goals? Uh, organization's goals are to sanctify Kadosh Baruch Hu's name more than we ever did before, uh, to help more people do shuvah, to learn more Torah, and Bezot uh, to uh, do it in the biggest way possible. I mean, if you're asking me a specific uh, company projects and things like that, there's plenty of things, but I generally don't like to talk about them until they're usually finished. Uh, the uh, blessings are best uh, kept in, uh, you know, in, uh, in hiding until they're, uh, they're materialized. Uh, was Cain born after the sin? Uh, and what if Adam had not sinned? Uh, Cain was born after the sin, yes. Cain was born after the sin. Uh, and uh, what do you mean, if, what if he had not sinned? If he had not sinned, then uh, he would have stayed in a perfect status. He would have never died. Um, that's uh, so Yaakov dressed as a sal for the sake of Kibudem. But what is it considered lying to Yitzhak? I discussed this during the parasha of that time where it's actually, uh, he didn't lie. He said uh, to, uh, to, uh, to his father, he says, uh, he said, here I am, Esav is your firstborn. Meaning that the sentence had to be broken up into two. Uh, but uh, as far as him being allowed to take the, uh, the blessing of, uh, of Esav, he was allowed to do it because Esav disrespected it. Uh, when he didn't value it, he lost the right to it. And therefore, it was uh, permitted for Yaakov to take it. Uh, another holy Jew. Uh, no, not just one holy Jew. Another uh, almost 10. Almost 10 holy Jews in the last uh, 24, 48 hours. Uh, why is the Balat that was once intimate with a Goy and a convert forbidden to a Kohen? Given the special status of Baal Shiva and a convert, um, well, it's not they're forbidden to a Kohen because they have some type of deformity. Uh, the uh, there's other Jews that are not a uh, Baal Shiva or a convert uh, are also forbidden to a Kohen. Depends, uh, you know, if a woman is a uh, widow or a divorcee. Uh, is uh, is also not allowed to a uh, marry a kohen, even if they're not a baal tshuva, even if they're righteous from birth, even if they were uh, married to the gedolador, they're still not allowed to to a uh, uh, to a kohen. It's just that a kadosh baruch Hu wants specific people to marry the kohenim, uh, just like he uh, allows certain people to marry uh, the mamzer. Certain people are allowed to marry the convert. Certain people are allowed to marry the Kohen. Uh, certain people are not allowed to marry. You know, this is just Hashem has 
specific instructions in his world uh, of how he wants to run his world. He makes the rules. Will it be decided on Rosh Hashanah if a person will finish conversion next year or not? Sure. Sure. Well, it could be decided in Rosh Hashanah if a person is going to live to see that conversion. Not just to convert, you know, not just to convert, but even to, to lift this to, to see that conversion. Okay, I think I answered all the questions I see here. Yeah, okay. Okay, guys, thank you very much for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you to continue making yourselves holy tools to sanctify Kadosh Bahu's name by getting his name spread out in every corner of the world, getting every person in the world, both Jews and Gentiles, to know the truth about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to abandon the falsehood. And as Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will have a favorable judgment on all of us to give us more time to sanctify His name, to give us more time to serve Him much, much better in this year than any other year before, much, much more in this year than any other year before. And Be'ezot Hashem, each and every single one of us will take advantage of the opportunities that he's given us uh, and really take advantage of them in the best possible way so we can actually fulfill our purpose and fulfill our obligation even though it's impossible to fulfill completely. Thanks again for learning with me. Thanks for the support for everyone. Anyone that wants to donate to the campaign, uh, whether it's to get a special prayer or it's simply to support, go to bhrh.org. And Be'ezot Hashem will uh, continue to uh, sanctify Hashem's name together. Call to B'chav Shana Tova. אני צריך מכם עשרה או בחורים או אברכים שיקבלו עליהם ללמוד את השס בשנה שבע דפים ליום, שלוש וחצי שעות ביום בעזרת השם יזכו במלגה מכובדת מארגון בעזרת השם שס בשנה, מי שהראשון מוזמן הראשונים יבואו לשולחן הנשיאות בזריזות, בזריזות ברוך השם, שבע עשרה לומדי תורה שקיבלו על עצמם את סיום השס 17 סיומי ש"ס בשנה לכבודה של תורה, לכבוד עם ישראל, לכבוד הקדוש ברוך הוא שישתבח בבנה ויאמר בני בכורי ישראל, עמלי תורה שקיבלו על עצמם לבוא וללמוד שבע דפים ביום, לבוא ולזכות את עם ישראל. ברוכים תהיו.